The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Joel Klatt of Fox Sports. We'll talk to Joel about his interesting views on the AP College Football Poll. Joel is not a fan, though at one point he was a voter. We'll debate a little bit about what he said about the poll and its relevance and whether it's good for college football or not. We will also talk about in-season quarterback changes and we'll preview the week's big games with number four Ohio State at number nine Penn State and number seven Stanford at number eight Notre Dame. Thanks again for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe on either of those platforms and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us and us find college football fans and as usual you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of our coverage and away we go my guest this week is joel clatt from fox sports thanks very much for joining me joel appreciate your time appreciate your work i want to get right into something that you sort of threw out there i guess it was a couple of weeks ago and i asked joel to come on last week but he was super busy He's busy this week, but we managed to finally get this to work. So you are Good to not be a... here, by the way. I'm I'm glad that we get a chance to chat. Yeah, well, you know, and we've chatted before. Joel was a voter in the Associated Press poll for I think a year or two, and then your schedule just got really brutal, and it was hard for you to get get it in on Sundays. Right? That was basically the deal. Yep. Joel came out a couple of weeks ago, said he wasn't a big fan of the AP poll anymore. Thought, and, and I think your headline writer on your tweet didn't do you justice there because it was framed in a way of like college football should get rid of the AP poll. And that's not what you said. But I think your criticism was the AP poll, because it has some flaws, is not good for college football. Is that a fair way of, of, of yeah, assessing? I think, I think that's a fair way of putting it. You know, I think the way that verbatim is, I think I, think I said that the AP poll should go away. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the headline, the graphics on the video weren't necessarily in line with, with that. But that's neither here nor there, uh, especially if you listen to the video, um, which some didn't and then decided to, you know, online uh, take off on. So I had some good back and forth with a few guys over that. But I, w- I will say the genesis of this actually started for me when I was a voter. It became very apparent to me how difficult it is, um, even if you're sitting in a studio all day with every single game up, to have some sense of how these games are going and how teams are playing. Then I was on the road as well doing games, and I follow college football as closely as anyone. And the need, I guess, or or the deadline to have that poll in early Sunday with the way that I was traveling made it nearly impossible for me to do some research on, you know, any number of teams during that, you know, you just basically look at the score and maybe the box score and then go from there. So I started thinking to myself, like, man, this is 
you know, I, I'm as ingrained in this sport as, as anyone, and I think that this is incredibly difficult. And I started looking at some of the other ballots. And candidly, you know, one, yes, my schedule was insane, and I, I just couldn't quite keep up with it. Um, that being said, I also grew really frustrated with the process and, and with other ballots that, that I thought were just really poor, <laughs> candidly. That's fine. That, that but way, no, but no, it, that's fine. It is your turn. This is your opportunity to sort of to air this out. So I'm, don't feel yeah, like you're going to – you're absolutely not going to offend me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> And and so, you know, my decision to hopefully, at least at the time, gracefully, you know, back away from, from the poll is that I just didn't believe in it anymore. In particular, once I saw it up close and personal and I started doing more research on, on what other polls from other voters looked like. And so that was kind of why I stepped away. And then when I'm talking about, so I'm just kind of going through the factors. But then I start, you know, saying things like that, even in regular conversations to people like, yeah, you know, I just didn't feel like the poll was a, was a good representation of what college football should be and how the people following it or, or talking about it, how they should be reflecting that sport. And I've always thought that preseason rankings were a bit of a hogwash anyway. So I've had these feelings, and people kept saying to me, well, it doesn't matter anyways. And then when the playoff came around in 2014, I got that sentiment even more so. And candidly, that's just not true. It's just not true. Because I think that it takes a much larger step of faith for you to say that the committee members don't walk into that room initially without some level of bias, whether it's conscious or unconscious, to what they have seen during the season and how they frame those games and how they've framed those games that they've seen in their heads based on what we think of these teams in, in the preseason in particular. Um, so there's that. And then there's the ultimate of, I believe wholeheartedly that jobs are on the line based on the poll. We count everything in this sport. We count what you do against ranked teams. We count how many times you're ranked, what number you got up to, how many times you beat a top 10 team, how many times you did that on the road. And candidly, we see coaches all the time, and whether it's an excuse or not, Ralph, the athletic directors and the decision makers in our sport use that data to make decisions based on hiring and firing. It does matter. It matters a great deal, and it matters a great deal more than what people want to give it credit for. And so when I saw behind the curtain about how the sausage was made, and then, and then everyone told me, well, like, don't worry, you know, no, it doesn't matter how the sausage is made. And I'm like, well, yes, it does. So that's where all of this is born out of. It was a long process from something that I was dying to be a part of and wanting to be a part of because I love the sport to now thinking, you know, it really doesn't do anything for the sport. In fact, it brings it down. And, and it's one of the things that I think, candidly, needs to go away because it, it actually hurts the sport that I love so much. All right. That's fair. A lot of your criticisms are fair. Especially the point of confirmation bias, I think, because it is sort of baked into the poll early in the season. I, I, I do, I would sort well, of. We didn't even get into that based on the actual poll. I was even saying from the committee's perspective. That's the thing. So, you, the, so you, those the are two, two different things that we could actually chat about. Well, if you'd like. yeah, sure. Well, because the two main points of sort of like digging down into your points, it was confirmation bias. 
about the poll itself. About the yeah, poll and itself. Can, and let, let me run through those real quick. Yeah. Now. So yeah. the, 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 the video basically was as follows. I said that there are two main reasons why the actual poll itself on a week-to-week basis is very flawed, fundamentally flawed, if you will. One was confirmation bias, and we see this, and it's very clear to see this, right? I mean, we still have a voter this week that voted Clemson number one in the country. If that's not confirmation bias, I have no idea what is. There's no way in the world that you can watch Clemson play and Alabama play for any length of time and say that Clemson is better than Alabama. So we get into this old school, like, well, you have to lose in order to be moved because I had you at one, so I'm going to keep you at one as long as you win. Well, that's the definition of confirmation bias. And I think that we see that, and I think it's pretty clear that everyone everyone would acknowledge that that exists within the poll. My other point was straight incompetence, and that's the one that I'm sure more people bristle at. But let's keep in mind that we had a voter this week Vote Virginia Tech, I believe, in the 12th spot. You're right. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're right. And when you look at that voter's ballot, he had, I believe it was five extreme picks. Extreme picks, meaning he put teams five places further from where the actual average landed. So there are some incompetent voting going on, some incompetent ballots being put forth and and i don't i'm not saying that every single one of them are but uh, i am telling you that the law of averages will tell you that there are some incredibly bad ballots and and there is some street incompetence uh, going on within the voters so for those two reasons it's hard to trust that because remember virginia tech being voted at 12 in one poll drastically affects what's going on Later, they could, you know, land right at 25, you know, because of the points that they're able, because of the, the mathematics of how everyone is, is slotted based on when people vote. You know, Florida State, after they got beat by Syracuse, was given a top 25 vote, and all they had done is squeak by an FCS team. That's just incompetence. It, it just is. I, I don't know how else to put it. And the reason I don't use those people's name is because maybe they didn't even mean to, but... It was done. If I give an answer on a final that is wrong, it's wrong. You know, you get kind of a red pen <laughs> for that, if you will. So those are the two reasons. Then if you go back to my initial thoughts of why it does matter, that's why I feel like, boy, we probably need to have a lengthier discussion about whether this is good for the sport or not. Okay, so I would push back on that it really does influence the committee. I've seen the poll. And again, we're going to we're 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 going to disagree on these things. So I'm not necessarily going to sure. going to try to going to try to pound sure. you over the head with this. Too. Yeah, I'm not going to pound you over the head with this and make you agree with me. But here's what I would say. In the 10 or 12 years I've been doing this now, and since the committee has become a thing because the college football playoff has become a thing, what I have noticed is that the poll in some ways reacts to the committee. There have been years where I feel like the committee goes a little outside of the poll of what the rankings are. And then as the weeks go along, you'll see the opposite effect, whereas the voters seem to be conforming to the committee, which is not necessarily a good thing. But I haven't necessarily seen enough of what you're sort of touting as far as like, hey, the committee is so influenced by the poll that it's sort of taking that on and making decisions that later in the year 
are impacted by whatever the preseason or, or the, the early season polls are. Sure. So I don't know if let I, me, I let me answer that real okay. quick because all I would all I would say is you're probably right, Ralph. And I think what you're probably assuming that I that I mean is that there is a significant amount of influence, right? Like mm-hmm. a tangible amount of influence. I think what I'm suggesting is that if there's any influence, and let me also make this point, either direction, if they're trying subconsciously to make it not look like the poll, or they're trying to fit teams into a box based on what we have thought of them from the preseason, either direction, any amount of influence is not good for the sport. I think that's more of my point. Mm -hmm. So from one to a hundred, if there's five units of influence, that you could probably say, like, well, Jill, what are we really talking about? Isn't that the margin of error, if you will? And I would say, well, probably, but aren't you uncomfortable with any amount of influence? Mm-hmm. So margin of error is an interesting term you just used there. Let me, let me hit confirmation bias and incompetence. Incompetence is something that I find a little tough because, listen, I look at these votes all the time, and there's a lot of times I go, wow, that is just way out there. I would say this. I also think that confirmation bias or groupthink is a big criticism of the poll. So I get a little leery of, hey, this person voted way outside the box. You need to get rid of that person. While we also say, hey, these voters just line up and they vote all this. They all vote the same thing. It's groupthink. So I feel like I don't want to criticize the outlier votes when we also get criticized for groupthink votes. Like it, it, outliers are okay. That's why we have sixty-one ballots. So that one yeah. person, that one person who decides that they're hunkered down on Clemson, it doesn't really matter because. And I know that's a phrase you don't like, but uh, but ultimately that person is drowned yeah, but out. It does. Well, no, but not necessarily. <laughs> that person is drowned out and. Alabama is number one and significantly yeah. number one. Now, here's another, there's another little element to this when you say incompetence. And here's where I'll nitpick on you. There are sometimes, as you even pointed out, it could have just been a mistake. But again, that's why we have 61 voters, 61 people filling out 25 spots. And I've got my calculator there, but that's, you know, over that's that's a lot of spots. Right. So I would yeah. say if somebody and an incre- incredible amount of combinations. Yes. An, yeah, an incredible amount of combinations. So I would say this because I, I think you're right to a certain degree on confirmation bias. And by the way, that those spots are it's it's fifteen hundred twenty five spots. So what I would say is the equivalent of one person putting Florida State at 25 because maybe they forgot to change them or maybe they and by the way it wasn't after the Syracuse game it was after they hung on to against Sanford which regardless they should have been out. There's no doubt they should have been out. But if Florida State ends up at 25 because somebody had a late game and was a little behind on their research I would suggest it's similar to, listen, you're on air for four hours during a game. There might come a point when you might get a a name wrong. You might get a formation wrong. Very minor thing, but it's sort of washed away with the fact that you put together a really good four-hour broadcast. And and again, I'm not trying to excuse mistakes or excuse people who who, who are faulty. That's a great great explanation. I I really do. Now, I, I would also say that those mistakes, and, and trust me, I believe me, Ralph, I make them, but those mistakes that I make don't affect those that I'm making them about. 
But the point would be in a poll of 61 voters, those minor mistakes get washed away. That's why we vote. I mean, I I hate to equate it to something that's really important, right? Like voting in a presidential race or voting, you know, Mm -hmm. doing your civic duty. But to a certain degree, right, there's a little bit like that just to a smaller scale. You have 61 voters so that the occasional margin of error, the occasional outlier gets sort of washed away. And it's the rankings themselves that matter. And the rankings themselves, listen, I also know people, and you did it, So you know the amount of research that you try to put in. A lot of people who do this put in a lot of research, and they have crazy schedules too. And they do the best that they can to try to research up, watch as many games as possible. We'll go back through the week and sort of bone up on teams that they miss, you know, catching a, a rerun game here and there while also doing their job. So I understand the process is inherently flawed because there's really no good way to do this. So there are going to be some flaws here. But I do think the points about incompetence and outliers, and I'll put those sort of in the same bucket, because to a certain degree, there's going to be mistakes. And there's also going to be people who are just a little out there. But they sort of get washed away by the bigger picture. And that's the whole point of voting, right? You can vote, you know, millions of people vote for president. Some people vote for Mickey Mouse, but Mickey Mouse will never be president. So, so we don't have to worry about that. Uh, that all of that is, is correct. There's no doubt. A couple of thoughts. One would be, if it in fact doesn't matter, then why would we have it if there's any amount of influence in a positive or, or negative direction on, on the sport. That, that's kind of a thought. And after saying that, I would also say that the model that you're talking about, I would argue, is much better than the model that the committee uses, right? Like, you have it correct. I wish that there were 61 people sitting in a room, a committee, or, or three committees of 10, or four committees mm-hmm. of 10, so that we could drown out what I believe will, and we, I think we see this, even though we don't see their individual votes, the outliers in the committee room have a much greater impact on our sport than the outliers in the AP poll. So I think that your model, Ralph, that you're talking about is, is absolutely correct. And if we were going to use that model for the actual committee rankings and the playoff rankings, I would be all for that. What I have a problem with, I I guess, is is saying, even with everything that you're saying being correct, like you're never going to get rid of the confirmation bias from a group or from an individual. I think it's probably more dangerous on an individual basis than it is on a group basis because the the group can at at times be more flexible based on one game here or, or one game there. But if there's any negative impact whatsoever and it, quote-unquote, doesn't matter, then why is it there? Let me answer that, because I, I have a pretty good spiel I use for this. And, and I think it's actually pretty, it's a good reasoning. I don't think it's just me being a company man, because clearly the Associated Press poll no longer has the influence it used to, right? It just was a playoff system now. It, it really doesn't, and again, I'll use that phrase that I know makes you cringe, it doesn't matter to the extent that it used to. So I get a lot of people. That's a good point, but maybe that's poor athletic directorship. But here's what I would say. The AP poll matters in this context. It started in 1936, 
and now we're in 2018. And through that period of time, we have done a lot of different things to figure out who's going to be the champion in college football, right? We've had BCS, we've had bowl systems, we have a playoff. And you know what? And you and I know both, Joe. By 2025 or six, we'll have a new system. There'll be another one sure. that'll have... There'll be either a tweak to this one or a brand new one. You're exactly right. Yeah, and there'll be automatic bids, and maybe we won't have a playoff committee... Uh, I cringe at that. I hope it never happens, but it's going to. That could be the next episode you come on. <laughs> so, but in other words, because this will change, the system will change, the landscape will change, the poll will sort of still be there to tie college football's history together to a certain degree. It gives you a reference point that you can look back to 1966 and say one versus, it was 66, I think, one versus two Michigan State, Notre Dame, and what influence that that game had on that season and that sport in general. And you can look back to, I'm looking at the years you played for Colorado, and I'm trying to think of like, if you maybe had one year where you went into the season, which was, which expectations were super high and you met them, or yeah. maybe expectations were low and you guys were out of the rankings, but you came up and you had a good year and we ended up ranked. To a certain degree, that sets a narrative, maybe, now you can say maybe it's a false narrative, but that sets a narrative to a season that I think is significant when you go back and sort of look at the history of college football. And but the, I thought you just told me that it doesn't matter. No, well, I, I, what I say, what I'll say is, I don't think it matters in the sense of influencing the committee, and I don't think it matters in the granular details about oh, somebody had Clemson with a one vote for a couple of weeks while Alabama was dominating any everybody. I think it matters sort of from a macro level of, again, sort of telling the story of a season and telling the story of many seasons when college football has nothing that really nothing else that does that. So that's my spiel. Yes. So if that's all correct, like, let's say that I, I say, Ralph, that was a great spiel. You know what? <laughs> You're right. Now... Why don't we just wait until week three so we can actually <laughs> see the teams play? Yeah, And that comes down to a very simple thing, Joel. I mean, it really comes down to the fact that people like these polls. They eat them up. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a business I mean, decision. So it it's also a business to, decision for the AP, I right? I understand that. Right? <laughs> right? I get it. And, and I'm not going to begrudge them their ability to make money. That doesn't mean that I'm going to think that it's best for the sport. Now, you make a really great argument about tying the history of the sport together and and, and candidly, I like that a lot. I like that argument a lot. I think that's the, the best thing that I've heard in the AP polls defense, candidly. So to me, having it in the preseason, you're basically admitting that it's clickbait. Maybe. But here's what I'll suggest. And, I, and I've written this. I've literally written this. Do you think nobody would know Alabama was really good? If we didn't have any a preseason poll, so there's we would understand, which is exactly my point in the video when I talk about the fact that it doesn't hurt the NFL at all. It doesn't hurt them at all. We know who we think are going to be good, but but we are much more nimble in our analysis of NFL teams based on the first three and four weeks of the season than we are in college football because of the individual confirmation bias that is inherent in college football. And I would also point to the regionalized bias in college football. We want our region and conference to do better than the other regions and other conferences. So you see that kind of cooked into the books at times 
when you're talking about people that evaluate and vote for things like the Heisman Trophy, vote for things like the AP poll. So I don't think it hurts the NFL that we're that nimble and we're, we're that pliable with our analysis. I wish we were that nimble and that pliable with our analysis of college football teams. Here's my last bit on this, and it goes to confirmation bias. And I, I kind of, this was my my last word on, and I wasn't again. I, I didn't. I literally didn't tweet it at you because I didn't think it was fair for me to like come at you. I, I wasn't. That wasn't the case. So leave that to Andy. Andy will. Be yeah, yeah, exactly. Staples is fine for that, and, <laughs> and I much rather talk to you about it than come at you on Twitter because I think that could be silly. But what I would also say is, you gave some examples of and this is a couple of weeks ago so maybe your opinions have changed and i do think voters over the over the course of my tenure in this position have become more nimble i see more drastic movement in the poll maybe not as much as you would like but i see more drastic movements in in polls from week to week especially early in the season when we're just sort of grabbing very few meaningful results but i will say this i do think as much as you have a strong opinion, well-thought-out opinion, and good opinions on college sports, on college football, and how these teams should be ranked, I would also suggest that it's still just your subjective opinion. And I think what a lot yeah. of people who what a lot of people who criticize the poll sometimes forget is that if you think Oklahoma is better than Clemson, that's fine, but there are a lot of people who disagree with you. Like lots and lots of people who disagree with you. So my point is, no matter whose subjective opinion it is, there's a zillion of them out there. So to sort of base like, oh, well, see, here's my here's my examples of confirmation bias. Oklahoma blew up FAU. And how can you say that that wasn't more impressive than Clemson barely getting by Texas A&M? And that just proves confirmation bias. If you had a room of 100 people, 50 of them might say, no, you're crazy. Of course, Clemson would look better because Clemson had the tougher team. And there are no necessarily definitive right or wrong answers there. So what I always come back to is people criticize the poll because the poll doesn't look like they want it to. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that that's, a, that's an interesting point. But I I can honestly tell you, I, I don't necessarily care what it looks like as long as I know that the votes have substance. But, you're, but you're, you're, how you decide that vote has substance will always be influenced by your own opinion. I guess that's, my, that's sure. ultimately my point. Okay. So even what substance, the definition well, of substance I, I will, becomes I malleable. I will say this. I will value my opinion very much more than a voter who has Clemson still number one <laughs> or Virginia Tech still in his poll. Yeah, that's Or fine. doesn't move teams based just on, on wins and losses. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, it's hard for me because it's like, well, which, which ones do you want me to trust and which ones do you not? I mean, 50 people that all jump off a bridge, that doesn't make jumping off the bridge right. <laughs> All right, we've already gone like twenty five minutes on this subject. Can, can you? <laughs> this was always gonna. Be, this was always gonna take a long time. It I was. enjoy the discussion. I really do, and I don't know if I'm right. I, I I might be wrong on this, Ralph, and you might be wrong, and you might be right as well. I I enjoy the fact that we can come together and discuss it. You know, and I think quite frankly that's lost in a lot of parts of our society. You can say that again, Joel. So no, this has been very cool. It's actually gone even better than I thought. What I was going to ask you is, can I keep you another 10 or 15 minutes or at least another 10 minutes just to talk about some ball? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I have to take a quick break. We are here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm with Joel Klatt from Fox. We will be back right after this. 
And I'm back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with Joe Klatt from Fox Sports. All right. Had a good debate there about the AP poll, but I actually want to talk to you a little bit about some ball and what's going on this weekend. Actually, before I get into this coming weekend, you know, you were a quarterback, and we've had some several teams make several really good teams make quarterback switches. You know, a month into the season here, Clemson did it with Trevor Lawrence, and Notre Dame does it with Ian Book. Um, it looks like Miami is sort of playing with that with uh, Nikosi uh, Perry, possibly for Malik Roser. Without necessarily getting into each individual one, because they all have sort of a different format, how tricky is that? to do that for a coach and for a team and for a, a quarterback, whether you're the one winning the job or being sat down on the bench, how difficult it is, do you think, to make that move during the season? That's a, I think that's a great question. And I, I think it's actually easier to describe than you might think. People have, have thought that it's very tricky. I will tell you this. The team will, as a gross generalization, be fine with decisions that they feel like are best for the team. You know, if some individuals are upset, that's, that's their, their issue. Um, but the team generally understands what's best for the unit. And if the coaches are making decisions in that vein, then generally the team falls in line. What, where it gets dicey is if the team feels like a coach is being preferential to a, a quarterback that he recruited versus inherited or, um, maybe maybe it seems like he promised some kid something in recruiting, and if, if it's made from the coach for an individual, not the team, the team will see right through it, and that's how you lose the team as, as quickly as possible. Um, but I've I've always felt like every single position on the field, whether it's quarterback or left guard or defensive tackle or or strong safety, you should always be trying to put the best possible player out there in order to become the best possible team you can be. You should always be doing that for the team because my role as a coach or, or the coach's role as a coach is to make sure that the, the whole succeeds, not one individual. Now, individuals will succeed if the whole succeeds, but I think it's a philosophical deal. If he's making decisions on the quarterback based on individuals, he's going to lose the team. If he's making those decisions about the individuals with regard to the team, he won't lose the team. That's a great answer. And the similar thing that I've always heard from coaches is the players know. They're in practice. Trust me. They know when one guy is clearly better than the other. And as much as they love their guy, maybe it's their friend or their classmate or whatever, they also want to win. So a lot of times, I, I, I think coaches are slower than teammates. <laughs> teammates generally want. I'm, I'm I'm dead serious on this. I think teammates generally would be more apt to a fluid situation than than coaches are. You, do you think it's because coaches do get have a certain amount of loyalty and and the idea of what this says about my recruiting and things? We talk about confirmation bias in the poll. Do you think coaches sure. sometimes get like, hey, this is my guy, right? So I, I'm sort of viewing there's this no guy doubt. differently? The, the single reason that there's not more quarterback changes made when it, be, when it seems necessary is ego. Mm-hmm. Ego from the coach. He doesn't want to deal with the questions from the media. He knows in the back of his mind, he knows that there's that one reporter that constantly asks him about this, and he doesn't want to give <laughs> that guy the, the, you know, the thumbs up about, boy, you were right about asking about the backup, all that. All of that goes into it. I think ego from the coach is the number one issue when it comes to that type of a decision. 
Yeah, that's. I feel like coaching ego sometimes gets involved in a lot of decisions when it comes, especially the quarterback decision. Okay, let's talk about a couple of games this week. There's two monster games that I think can have some serious playoff implications long term here. Penn State and Ohio State go into this game as the two highest scoring teams in the country. And I don't know when the last time the Big Ten had the two highest scoring teams in the country playing each other. I don't know if you've had a chance to see either of these these guys up close and personal yet, but I'm sure you've watched them. The athletes on Ohio State side are pretty brilliant. Their new quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, has been remarkable. What is your feel on this game, a whiteout at Beaver Stadium? Yeah, so the first and foremost, I think that Trace McSorley is the X factor of the entire game because I, I get it that Penn State has had an electric offense as far as scoring a lot of points, but a lot of it has been because of him. And, and candidly, some of it has been because they've had to play four quarters in games where we didn't think they were going to have to play four quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, it even it really happened Friday night in Illinois. You know, it happened earlier against App State. Ohio State has not had to do that. They've had Dwayne Haskins on the bench for the majority of second halves outside of the TCU game. Um, Ohio State is is a better roster right now, Ralph, than Penn State. The fact that Bosa's not on the field and McSorley is is where the pause comes for me when I'm, I'm starting to pick this. McSorley's undefeated at home as a starting quarterback. Uh, they clearly have something magical there, even when they get great teams in. Remember, you know, Ohio State needed, like, I think it was double overtime to, yep. to times ago. Then they got beat on the, the block field goal the last time they were in there. So I, I fully expect it to be a tight game. But I will tell you this. I think that Dwayne Haskins is the real deal. I think that he's a legit Heisman contender, even with Tua playing as well as he's playing. And I think Ohio State's offense has the next gear that they did not have in the last two or three seasons under JT Barrett. And it's really a gear that we haven't seen since they won the national championship. I think Ohio State's clearly the second best team in the country. And I think they're going to win in Beaver Stadium. And that's going to put everyone, everyone, even Alabama, kind of looking and be like, oh, okay. So Ohio State is for real as well. All right. Yeah. You talk about situations with quarterbacks and loyalty and how what plays into it. And listen, JT Barrett was a wonderful player for the last few years, but you do sort of wonder if the the second best quarterback was playing last year for Ohio State because I, of because of loyalty and intangibles. Yes, and and let me give you a great example, Ralph. We were doing the Michigan game, Gus and I, and Ohio State's down six in the third quarter, like mid to late third quarter. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, I mean, Michigan's defense might pull this one out because Ohio State just could not do anything. JT Barrett goes down with the knee injury. Dwayne Haskins walks on the field, and during the commercial break uh, for the injury, I looked at Gus and I was like, I was like, watch out. I bet you Ohio State wins the game. And sure enough, why? Because mm-hmm. they got vertical in the pass game. The run game started opening up. The offense that Haskins runs is just better than the offense that they were running under JT Barrett. All right, Notre Dame-Stanford is not quite the level of uh, athletes and, and just stacked rosters. That's not the knock. Notre Dame and Stanford, they're two really good teams, but you know, not quite the level of rosters that we see out of Ohio State and Penn State, but two really good teams. I don't know if either of these teams end up in the playoff. My guess is no, but nonetheless, this is going to structure the season to a certain degree. Notre Dame looks like a different offense with Ian Book now, again, extending mm-hmm. the field, stretching the field a little bit. What is your sense? on these two teams 
Well, my, my sense is that Stanford has won almost every style of game that they could possibly win already in this season, which makes me think that they've got an enormous amount of confidence regardless of what happens during the game. Uh, they've won comeback fashion. They've won with their defense. They've won throwing the ball. They've won running the ball. I think Stanford's playing with a tremendous amount of confidence. Meanwhile, Notre Dame has got to be feeling a, a, a lot better about themselves because all of a sudden they were able to score some points, which they weren't able to do, candidly, under Wimbush uh, with all that amount of regularity. Um, the fact that Stanford's going back-to-back on the road in consecutive weeks concerns me. Did you know that if you go back to 2011, Alabama's only done it like once or twice, and, and a team like Oklahoma has never done it? They've never gone since since 2011, Ralph, back-to-back weeks, consecutive road games. The That's pa- crazy. The Pac-12 puts a lot on its teams that others' conferences go out of their way to avoid. Yeah, and, and Stanford's going to do that, by the way, twice, because later in the season they're going to go to Cal and then to UCLA. Um, so th- they're doing it twice in one season. Oklahoma's never done it since 2011. Uh, Washington, by the way, has got to go back-to-back true road games on consecutive weeks, and the second end of that back-to-back is at Oregon with Oregon off a bye. Who in the world allowed that game to be scheduled in the Pac-12 office? And we wonder why the Pac-12 doesn't have a playoff contender on a year-in and year-out basis, because they basically schedule against that proposition. Oh, my goodness. But you asked about the team. Stanford and Notre Dame. I'm leaning Stanford. There's something about them. They're veteran. They can play great defense. Um, I think that they offensively are are very pliable. They can do whatever is necessary to win. And because of that, I think that they're going to sneak out a win on Saturday. Do you think the Pac-12 produces a playoff team this year? Again, they have these stumbling blocks. Stanford seems to be the best candidate because if Stanford, even if they were to lose this game, I would think a 12-1 Stanford with who they play within the conference could still look really uh, like a really good resume. It's easy to dismiss Washington. I think that's not fair. They played a good game against Auburn, which was not a neutral field at all. But are we expecting too much to get the to get the Pac-12 to produce a playoff team this year? Let me just give it to you this scenario: Stanford could be twelve and one and not win their division. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, if if Washington is able to beat them, and Washington, you know, I mean. And then Washington has the one loss and goes. So it's going to be really tough. If Stanford is able to win their division and win the conference with a win this Saturday, boy, that that would be tough to keep them out. Don't you believe? Just from a pure resume standpoint, forget what the committee did, which I thought was just totally egregious last year and just saying, well, we think that team is better. Just put them in regardless of resume. If, if Stanford were to win their division, if they win this week, then win their division and win the conference, boy, that's going to be hard to keep them out. That will I, be, I just think it will be. I agree, because when you start stacking up road games, like Stanford is the only serious playoff contender that plays, I think it's six true road games this year, which is just unheard of from other teams, but six true road games. I, I would agree with that. I think the one, and this is getting a little deep in the weeds here, I do think the one thing that will happen this year, or, or very well could happen this year, is you won't see two teams from one conference because I do think the Georgia-Alabama thing will sort itself out in Atlanta and the committee will be unlikely to want to rematch. I don't think it would be fair to the winner of that game and I don't think the committee would want to necessarily go, okay, you know, those two teams are so good, let's play them again. Now, again, that's, right. we're a long, long way away from that, but I, my, that would be my guess. Let's put it that way. Well, 
and, and I've said this countless times, but it was just a complete failure, my opinion, as you will tell me, I'm sure. It was a complete <laughs> failure um, when the powers that be organized this playoff and did not set the precedent that you have to win your conference in order to go. Not that it's an automatic berth, but that it's a prerequisite in order to go to the playoff. Because as soon as that happened, now we have, quite frankly, all hell breaking loose, where Ohio State goes without winning the Big Ten, and then Alabama goes, even though they only played nine Power Five teams, and Ohio State played 11, USC played 12, with the totally apples and oranges schedule. The resume was clearly the same. They were told We were told it was the same. Then all of a sudden it was different. I mean, if we would have just said, you've got to win your conference to go, one, the Iron Bowl last year would have meant everything. These conference championship games would be epic, and we would have four more deserving participants in the college football playoff. And we would be allowing kids to actually earn it on the field rather than just this arbitrary 13-member panel where their rogue vote, not like the AP poll, here's where I'll defend you, their rogue vote matters a hell of a lot more than the rogue vote in a 61-voter panel. Here's the thing. I tend to agree with you. I understand why they didn't do that. I do want to get you on one more thing before I let you go, though, because your game, the game you'll be at is Northwestern at Michigan, and I am pretty fascinated by Michigan because we've talked a lot about Ohio State and Penn State, and they're undefeated. I still see a path here for Michigan to be very, very good this year. Uh, but it's hard to take Michigan seriously because the, the one big game, they fell flat offensively. And now they've just been racking up on teams that they're just much better than. And we knew that this was going to happen. We knew we were going to spend a month going, yeah, Michigan, that's nice, but. Yeah, Michigan, that's nice, but. So you'll get them against Northwestern. Northwestern just lost their best tailback, Jeremy Larkin, who had to retire because of a, a, a spine condition. I don't know how yeah. good, I don't know how much Northwestern's going to have for Michigan. But what are your thoughts on just Michigan and where this team can go? Because I still think that there's a possibility that this could be a serious threat to Penn State, a serious threat to Ohio State by the time the season's over. Well, I think that there's only a handful of teams in the country, and I think you would probably agree with this, that have their fate completely in their own hands. I think Michigan's still one of those. Mm-hmm. If they win every game that's on the left on their schedule, they'll go to the playoff. I'm I'm absolutely certain about that. Yes, but can um, they? Do they literally do they have the ability because it's a tough schedule because they also get Wisconsin from the West. I think it's a top 5 tough schedule in in all of college football, uh candidly. Um they I, I will tell you this when I and I watched their film last night uh, of a few of their games, and I and I can tell you right now that it just it looked like square peg round hole against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and and it just looked like and when I talked with their coaches and, and I chatted with a few of them during the course of the season, they say you know it, it affected us how late Shea Patterson became eligible. And I thought, you know, I hadn't thought of that. And everyone thought, well, he was in for spring, so it should be fine. But they weren't preparing him like the starter since he was in for spring. you got to remember that. And they basically said, like, listen, we, we were not even close to our best. We, we went out there, and we, we didn't have a great sense of who he was. He didn't have a great sense of who we were. And now, each game that we get more on the same page, we're becoming much, much better offensively. I agree with that. What I saw against Nebraska, and granted, Nebraska is really bad, but it was it was very good football. 
Shea's playing a lot better and more confident, moving a lot more confidently, throwing the ball more confidently. I guess what I'm saying is I I just don't want to write Michigan off. I think a lot of people around the country, in particular from the South, they want to just say, hey, Michigan never beats anybody. Let's throw them in a box and not talk about them again. And, And the fact of the matter is, is they were a bad spot from going to the Big Ten championship game and probably going to the playoff two years ago. Um, and, and this is a team that this year has maybe as good a defense as any in the country. Um, and if they get any semblance of quarterback play, I think that they're going to be right there with a chance to win some of those games. Now, we're going to have some of them. I'll probably have them against Michigan State, probably have them against Wisconsin uh, as well. So we'll see. Uh, will they do it? I, I mean, if I had to bet, Ralph, I would probably bet on no. But it's, it's close. I think it's close, and it's getting closer all the time. Joe Klatt from Fox Sports. Man, Thanks for coming and doing this. I'm, I'm sorry I took up so much of your time. Uh, this has That's been a long right. conversation. I'd rather have a great discussion than, than be quick. Yeah, and, but but yeah, it was it was fun to talk to you about the poll, fun to talk to you about the other stuff. And uh, I know you're a busy guy, but maybe we'll try to do this again sometime. That sounds great. Have a good one, bud. And now, three and out. First down. Shout out to Upstate New York College Football. Buffalo and Syracuse are both 4-0. and the Orange could be in for a harsh dose of reality this week when they go to Clemson. But Buffalo, on the other hand, is in position to start gaining even more national attention. The Bulls are at home to play Army in their final non-conference game of the season on Saturday. Listen, the Bulls didn't overextend themselves on the schedule with road games against Temple and Rutgers. But let's not dismiss those victories. Fact is, Rutgers scheduled Buffalo to beat Buffalo and didn't. Same goes for Temple. The MAC is always sort of an unpredictable league, but Coach Lance Leopold, who Buffalo hired away from Division Three power, Wisconsin Whitewater, has a team with some legitimate NFL prospects. The Bulls could find themselves ranked, and at least in the conversation, for a New Year's Six spot come November. Second down. For fans of Kentucky and Wisconsin and other teams with star running backs that are hoping their favorite player can make a Heisman run, you can probably forget it. Maybe Benny Snell or Jonathan Taylor can get an invite to the Heisman presentation in New York, but it's pretty clear that we're headed for another quarterback claiming the award. It has happened 15 times in the last 18 years, so it should be no surprise at this point. But the list of contenders this year is particularly deep. It's uh, Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, Oklahoma's Kyler Murray, West Virginia's Will Greer, Trace McSorley at Penn State. Uh, Don't be surprised if the buzz picks up in the next few weeks uh, for Clemson's Trevor Lawrence now that the freshman has grabbed the starting job. I'd be surprised if a player at any other position than quarterback was able to break through. I bet that all the finalists will be quarterbacks come December. Third down. If you're on the east of the Mississippi and you like to stay up really late on Saturdays watching games, one of the more interesting ones is the last one to kick off. Toledo, one of the best teams in the MAC, is at Fresno State, a Mountain West Conference title contender. This non-conference matchup might be even more entertaining than the Pac-12 After Dark offerings of Oregon at Cal and USC at Arizona. Those also kick off at 1030 Eastern. So yeah, try the Rockets and the Bulldogs. I have a feeling this could be an interesting one. 
That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find us on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.